Hey friends, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Clack Box. Today is a very special day for me because we have a special guest who is, um, he hasn't been my quote unquote church that we go to pastor for quite a few years, but for Allison and I, he is our, our pastor. We, we consider him kind of the, the, the foundation of pretty much everything of our marriage, of our parenting, of our ministry that God used us in. And so um, he's just a dear friend of mine and his name is Toby Slough. And he is a pastor, a friend, a father, amazing husband, and an author. And so I just am so glad to have you here with us, Toby. Thank you for joining us. Oh, man, it is my pleasure, Cody. You left out though I'm a papa. That's at the top of my list right now. I got five of those little ones that call me papa and that's my badge of honor oh my gosh it's it's crazy to think how we've transitioned you know ross was in my sixth and seventh grade boys small group and now he's just a bearded man no doubt he's an old man losing his hair like his daddy and you used to talk about your son being 14 i remember when your son was born it's like my goodness we're getting old Man, I, it, we are, but we don't look it. That's what we were just talking about. We we still look good, man. We look we look good. At least our wives think we look good, and that's what matters. Only one. You only got to fool one woman. Get one good woman to make one bad decision, Cody. You're set for the rest of your life, man. I'm a testimony to that. Oh, I, I you told me um, early on before we even got married. I think when I told you we got engaged, you were like, "Brother, you out kicked your coverage." I'll never right. forget that. I still don't quite know what that means, but I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, so Toby, you have known me for, um, I think we were 19 when we started coming across timbers. Um, I'm somewhere in my forties. We'll leave it at that now. But, um, Alice and I were 19 and, and 16 when we started coming across timbers and, um, I'll never forget, uh, for, for our relationship, you were, you were there when we got engaged, you were there when my sister got baptized, you were there when my mom died. Um, you were there when Tate was born. Uh, and so you just, you, you officiate our wedding. I still think to this day, our wedding might be one of the only weddings you've actually worn a real tux to. This is true. I, I used to always say I'll, I'll do anybody's wedding as long as you don't make me wear a tux. But I did because I, honestly, because Allison wanted I pretty much <laughs> Allison get me to do whatever she wants me to do. She she has a way with uh, a way with just those blue eyes. So, yeah, it, it works. Um, but honestly, for me, Toby, there I'm going to start this pod, podcast off and you and I are criers. We just we just are. That's just our nature. And, and so we may just start there. Uh, but for me, one of the reasons that um, I wanted to chat with you today was because there's only about three or four men it, ever in my life that when there's a, a, a we have a we hug or we embrace and, and there's this there's this feeling that happens to me of like, this is a true father um, embrace. And so it's like, it's the closest I'll get to when I hug Jesus, you know? And so you are one of those men for, for, I don't know how long we were at cross timber, six, seven years. And then even a couple of weeks ago, um, when we hugged on your last Sunday, it was like this, this man genuinely cares for me. And so I just, I just thank you for that. Um, I appreciate that. I know that it's genuine. And so, yeah, so uh, that's, that's kind of our relationship, but where are you now? You've got, you're married, you're a papa. Did you, by the way, did you pick that name or did the kids pick that? 
well, the, my kids, not my grandkids, my kids wanted them to call me Papa T and they never got the T out. So it's just became Papa and uh, I'm down with whatever they want to call me. <laughs> what do they call Micah? Honey. Oh, that's, that's sweet. I, I think Allison wants to be called Honey or um, Lolly. I'm not, I don't remember which one it is, but that would be a lollipop. I, I guess I'll be pop too. <laughs> well, remember this, Bubba, whatever you decide you want to be, doesn't really matter. It, they're going to come up with it. And when they come up with it, it, they couldn't say honey at first, the first couple of kids. And they called her haha because they couldn't pronounce honey. And I was giving her grief that her nickname was going to be haha all the way through. And they finally came around and started saying honey. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you guys, you, You've got five grandbabies, right? So give me the rundown on the kids, um, grandkids, where you guys are at right now. Let's see. So Bailey, my oldest, my daughter and her husband, Grant, have three. And the oldest is six, Gideon, and then a, a four-year-old named Micah Thomas, and then a two-year-old, Esther. And they live in Petal, Mississippi, which is just outside of Hattiesburg. And in fact, that's where I am now. We sold out about some real estate we had and bought a house and downsized into a house in Denton that allowed us to buy a little house here and pedal that's right next door to the kids. And so those three are here and we're spending the summer hanging out with them. And then my son Ross that you referred to who uh, is married to Michelle, they have two little girls. Uh, they have Everly Quinn and June Magnolia. Cause you know, Ross, he's a Denton guy. So I'm just surprised they didn't call him wigwam or something for Ross, but, uh, but Junebug and Evie, uh, they live there in Denton, and she's, let's see, Evie is six, so she's just a little behind Giddy, and then the bug is three. She's awesome. But both those kids are awesome. Okay, so I'm biased because I think my kids were just super cute when they were little. Now that they're getting older, my son is just a man child, and what do you yeah. do, you know? Um, but, dude, your grandkids are cute. But I'm yes, they are. Oh my god, I'm kind of partial to the the redheaded, blonde-headed, you know, blue-eyed thing going on. That's a theme in your household. Oh my gosh. And Gideon just seems like a just a, a chunk. He's just he's just a, a beefy little dude. So and then well, his daddy, you know, was a college football player. And his dad played was the Big 12 all he was the uh, most valuable offensive lineman in the conference. I mean, that was big boy football. He was 305. When he oh, played there, oh my he's gosh. down to 180 now because you know he quit eating so much, but he's still like six three. And you see a lot of that in Gideon. He's gonna be that big old tall. We've been watching him play soccer and he's got some natural skills. We, we always are grateful that he got that from his dad, not his mom. Because <laughs> his mom got my athletic ability. <laughs> I'm just I'm just glad he's playing a real sport. You know, that's good playing soccer. Um and then, yeah, I'm, dude, I, you know, I used to give you grief about that. I'm so down with soccer. I love soccer. I love everything about it. And to watch this kid over the last couple of years go from just, you know, run up and down, kicking the ball to learning how to pass and learning to be where the ball is going, not where it is. I see him developing. I love it. I really do. I, I feel like I, I'm done. I feel like my life is over. It's complete now because, I yeah, you've never given me more grief than anything about that. Uh, so, and then you've got Micah, 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 Micah. And how long have you got? Six, 36 years, man, that this woman has put up with my nonsense. 36. And I'll tell you this, Cody, don't like crying. Like, this is the best season of my life. I think we all get worried about our kids going to college or then marrying and being gone. And I'm telling you something, man, it's the greatest season. I'm married to my best friend, man. We hang out and uh, love doing stuff together. It's, 
she's an unbelievable woman, as you know, and uh, I get her all to myself you know, this <laughs> season of my life. It's awesome. Well, and not to make the next five minutes about Micah, but there was a time at Cross Timbers where I was in the littlest cubicle known to man in that yes, hallway. Oh, my chair didn't even fit in the cubicle. And uh, she was just kind of like one office down and kind of to the left. And mm -hmm. uh, that was right after my mom had passed. And so there was a there was probably a year where I would just go into her office and sit in a chair and just kind of, I don't know, let her be mom to me for a little bit. And uh, she is she's just a wonderful, amazing woman. And I'm yeah, just so much respect for her too, for, you know, putting up with me in that crazy bleach blonde haired time that I was, you know, thought spiky. I knew. Oh my God. Come on, Spiky. I, yeah, I, I, I walked up when I was there at Cross Timbers that Sunday. Uh, Michelle Cole was like, I don't, I, I don't recognize you without spiky hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So Cross Timbers, um, a short, I guess, how would you summarize the early years of cross timbers and where like the birth of it well, how would you summarize it uh crazy roller coaster uh jet fueled explosion of people and problems and opportunities and uh, it was a beautiful mess is what i would call it it was one of the most beautiful messes that I've ever experienced. I think we'll ever experience, man. It was crazy fun. Uh, it was crazy challenging. Uh, it was some of the most gratifying, terrifying, uh, emotionally taxing and yet satisfying seasons of my life. It's just unbelievable that we would start in a bar with 13 families <clears throat> in eight or nine months moved to a barn that we built on a little piece of property in Argyle. And, you know, I mean, in those first few years to, to literally have thousands of people per year come join our church, come to know Christ in our church. Uh, every, nobody knew how to be a church person at Cross Timbers because we didn't, weren't really about church people. And so nobody hid their stuff. And so when you don't hide your stuff, it's all out there in a, on display for everyone to see. So it wasn't very sanitized, but it sure was, uh, it sure was authentic. And uh, I've been thinking a lot lately just about the number of people that, man, I got a front row seat to watch God do crazy stuff in people's lives. And it was a lot, that part of it was just greatness. It, it seemed a quick, I guess my quick summary. Well, I have an interesting point of view on it because there was an element of me being so young, but then like you talked about the authentic piece of it where, um, I was young and running at a weird pace in, in the cross timbers chaos, good chaos, but chaos of it. But also there was an element of like, you guys let me in on a lot. There was no, we're going through this as a staff and, and Allison and I, we went to church at the bar at Lil's, um, mm -hmm. even brought my mom there. I remember the, our first, um, Easter, or I guess it was technically maybe the second Easter, but no, it was the first, we only had one there. Really? Okay. So it was the first season. It was outside. I remember the barbecue. I, I remember the, the, I still remember where we sat. I remember the purple dress my mom wore. I remember all of it. Um, and then we went, I mean, so we were at the bar, we were, we went to church at the barn and then we went to church at the bubble, you know, we just kind of kept transitioning into these weird yeah. buildings. But, um, 
so there was a weird view for me uh, now that I think of that I thought about it more of being I had a weird seat in the mix too but we we literally it felt like I think it, there was I think it was under 200 people the our when we started going yeah and and then it felt like every Sunday there was we need 50 more chairs we need 50 more chairs and and it took about three weeks from us going to saying I'll volunteer to all of a sudden I'm you know a paid part-time employee and then it just went you know full-time and craziness from there and so did it really feel like that I mean was that really the the from the lead pastor role to kind of the jokingly lowest person on the totem pole me was that what it was like was it was just like we need more chairs it just felt like where are these people coming from exactly it's exactly how it was i remember one of our guys standing in a door with me a little office and saying you know we have these people coming and how are we gonna do this and this and let's build a step process and i was like man that sounds great but i'm just trying to figure out how to get 100 more chairs for next weekend that that's what i'm trying to figure out and the evangelist in me was getting so fueled by so many of these people coming that we would you know add chairs and then add services and we're going to build the bubble from the barn because now we won't have to have as many services and by the time we got it built you remember we you know we were already in as many services as we've been in that little barn and it was that it was just every week and only lately has have I come to appreciate, honestly, you just think your experience is everybody's experience. And I've been in a few church plants over the last few weeks, and uh, I was in one in a high school in Florida, uh, I don't know, about three weeks ago. It's sweet church, sweet people, and they had, you know, I don't know, they had about four or 500 people before the pandemic. They're like three years old, and now they have you know, about 250 coming back post covid and uh, I just, I looked at Mike and I said, you know, everybody didn't get to experience that explosive growth that we did, which was good. And Cody, as you know, it was, you know, it was a challenge as well. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, it, 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 it was a, it was a weird, I, I've been a part of, um, you know, several churches since, and then several churches that were mobile that were trying to get into a building and I, Allison, I've joked around that we've given to more building campaigns than we can count and rarely <laughs> got to even go into those buildings. So, um, but it, it felt like it was weird because some of those uh, mobile church experiences, you kind of feel like it's us against the world. And there's like this cause to go for. And then you and I could talk about this forever of, of the idea of like, once you get into the building, the identity kind of changes. Of yeah. And a lot of people that were helped you get into the building don't last in the building. Um, you know, parking lot setup teams, stuff like that. Um, but Cross Timbers never felt like it was like us versus the world. I, it, it just felt like God was just we're just here and God's bringing stuff. And we're just trying to make as many cookies and tea and set up chairs as we can. Did, did I miss that or no, you, you, you spot on because cross timbers, you know, I said 800 times in a welcome class, you know, lots of different views of the church that are biblical. There's an army, there's a body up, but for us, it was family. It's, it was always family. And, uh, so what you were experiencing was like a growing family and every week was a family reunion and every week we were throwing a party as a family for people hmm. uh, who 
most of the time wouldn't darken the door of a church. And what attracted people, the worship was great. The teaching was adequate sometimes. Uh, but what attracted people was that sense of family. It's like, oh, wow, there is a place I can belong with all my crap. Like, I don't have to have it all fixed for people to love me, accept me, help me along the way. And now looking back at it, you know, you talk about you and I hugging, like I had this, I couldn't articulate them, but, but I have this, this heart of a, of a dad, of a spiritual father that, that is always my pull. That's what God has put in me. And because of that heart that I had, and because I had grown up in a us versus the world and either you're in or out kind of thing, I just wanted to build a big messy family mm. where everybody could have room and space to become, you know, everything. I wanted people to feel loved, man, and accepted. And that had not been my experience as a kid in church. And so I was desperately trying to recreate our create that kind of experience for my kids and for those who were coming to our place. Okay. Well, that helps because I, there's two things on that. I, I experienced that um, other side of it too, where growing up ha you know, half of my childhood was in a church, but it almost felt like we were accepted, but we were accepted because they were supposed to accept us. But, and we, so they kind of put us in this specific category of the accepted. And right. so it still didn't really feel um, like a connection like family, I guess you would say. So then what I've always said about cross timbers is it, you just said that churches are different, they're different. There's different types of churches. And what I've always said is that I don't, I don't know if this is true, but it's a theory that I have that not all churches are called to be all things to all people. Right. And so what felt, what felt great or authentic about cross timbers was it was about de-churched unchurched people finding healing so that's kind of what you're describing is in that that family gathering acceptance thing um and i remember it was through me off of like just what people would wear to church going from the church yeah. scenario that i grew up in to see what people are wearing um in church and uh and even in argyle having a couple of homeless people just walk in you know and yeah. and 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 it not but it and that happens at churches but it never felt like it was awkward you know it felt normal so with that that kind of family gathering i don't i'm gonna just ask this it that wasn't strategic was it was it like no there's no no, I don't have a strategic bone in my body, man. I mean, I'm, I knew a long time ago that the gift God gave me was not strategy. So I just asked him for kind of a life hack of, Hey, help me show me what you're doing. I'll join you in it. And the, the strategic part, if there was a strategic part and it wasn't healthy, quite honestly, was we would do things intentionally that would make church people that's the word i would use kind of in that group uncomfortable uh you know for me wearing shorts and flip-flops i was sending a message to people this isn't you know your mom and dad's fill in the blank denominational church this is a place where you can come as you are that was strategic that was hey man we we had people who said i can't go to a church where the pastor wears shorts and flip-flops but okay good because there's tons of people like you who would say hey man if there's a place where people can just really come as they are that's something I want to be a part of. And, but the, it wasn't strategic as much as it was. Remember this, Cody, I had, I, Brian Hackney, who, who founded the church with me, he had lost a child. 
was in grief. He was still in the stages of grief as we launched Cross Timbers. I was still in the early stages of understanding what my anxiety and panic disorder was all about. Still seeing a counselor on a regular basis, still uh, not putting two and two together about uh, how God meets you in the middle of that, just kind of still living in between that mental thing of, hey, if if God's real and, and he loves me, I'm not going to have these anymore versus, hey, God's going to give me power. I was, we were both in the middle of all yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, if you were going to say, let's start a church, you would never pick a guy who's in the middle of grief, whose faith is being deconstructed as he leads worship and he's been reconstructed and a guy who is trying to figure out where's God in the middle of mental health issues. But because that's who we were, the only thing you can do like to function is you, you have to just be you. You you have to, you can't put on the show. You can't formalize things. It's like, man, here's who, you, who we are and here's what we got. And, you know, if you're jacked up, come come join us. I mean, that that's really what, it what was. we were living now. Yeah. Well, and that's where, like I've said, um, in a sermon recently, or I'll say two in the last couple of years, that um, what's hard is that a true come as you are culture or or body or family like that is if a pastor has an experience, right? If I'm if I'm worshiping uh, as a youth pastor, I'm in service and next to my wife or you or whatever, and I'm worshiping and, I, and all of a sudden God's doing something to my heart and I'm crying and I'm bawling. If people are going, oh, something's wrong. If, if the body is going, oh, something's wrong with him. Oh, they must have be having troubles in their marriage or whatever. Then you're not a come as you are scenario. And so I, I agree with you because it felt like at Cross Timbers, people just, there was just no, there was no overthinking it. There was no overanalyzing people as they walked in. There was no figuring out where they were. It was just like, here's people, here's God, let's go. Like, that's all that, that mattered. Um, and now, and, and, and that's kind of the, 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 a little bit of funky baggage that I have is looking at all these other churches and all the things that you say or whatever, but do you think cross, cross timbers, I hate to use the term successful because that sounds like it's a numbers game, but do you think God blessed cross timbers in that season? Because it was authentic to who you and Brian were. Because I, because I think there's an element of like, you guys were going through healing. That's what was going on. And, and so it was like, this is where God has us. We're not going to be trying to be anything we're not. We're going to be who we are. And now that I look back on it with where God has you now, it seems like it's, it's emotional, mental, spiritual healing. It's, it's healing, 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 healing. Now, I didn't see that back then because I was 21 years, you know, 20, 22, 24 years old. But now I see it and it's like, that's what we were about. And so do you think God kind of blessed that because it was just like, that's what beats your heart white hot. And that's what was hacks, hackneys, you know, beat his heart. And that's what we were going to be about for people. Yeah. The, the short answer is yes. I think, you know, the, the Bible study that marked my adult life was a study by Henry Blackaby uh, called Experiencing God. And I say it marked my life because the overarching statement of that little personal Bible study and workbook, I still have a couple of those workbooks that I've worked through, is, hey, quit asking God to bless what you're doing and ask God to show you what he's blessing to go join him in it. Mm. And 
we saw God blessing this kind of family. We're all, you know, you're, you're jacked up. I'm jacked up. It's okay not to be, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. You got to take a step forward and let's help each other. God blessed it and God brought people and God attracted people to that. Uh, and, and I think he blessed it because we were being exactly who God had called us to be. You know, Cody, it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people in all kinds of places. I never, ever once said that the way we were called to do church was how everyone ought to do church. But we had to be who, exactly who God called us to be, to be in line with what he was blessing and joining him. And, and quite honestly, we grew to the point where the tail started wagging the dog at some point, at some point, the family reunion can only, you know, it can only function at a, at a certain <laughs> size. And, you know, we went through our seasons of how, you know, there has to be some kind of organizational structure to this. There's got to be a, a more methodical way to move forward. And a lot of cross timbers, at least my journey with cross timbers for 22 plus years has been, you kind of, you know, you kind of react to the reality of that kind of size and those kind of needs. And you, and then you have to correct, you know, life is a series of mid-course corrections. Let's get back to the heart of who we are. Let's get back to the heart of who we are. And so it may have looked different in the years after we grew to such a large size, but the heart never changed. Uh, I think if I was proud of anything, uh, I'm proud of the fact that as I walked off the stage there for the last time in that lead role that I could say, man, the heart of this place is the same as it was the day we started in Texas Lills, Diamond A Dude Ranch back parlor room. Oh my gosh. That's, oh, and I, and I love that because there's a lot of things that I think like you, you remember or you think, and you don't want it to be, I'm kind of a, a relational fan, um, romanticist a little bit you know I think I'm still really really good friends with everybody I've ever met and so you look back on those the good old days right and you go and just um you think you learned a lot of lessons from it that you took to other places and tried to to not carbon copy what you did and that's what I loved about it was it was like when we would go to other churches or we were consulting or whatever it was like no who who is called God called you to be as a church that's where you, you're going to find your groove and so um, but it feels like that was kind of a struggle for a lot of people yeah for sure and it was a struggle for us a lot of times really you know you every time one more person would come that was one more opinion about how you ought to do things that's what I would always say right and oh, yeah. uh, I caught a lot of grief your days for sure. I'm remembering some of the, like, you know, we, we grew so fast. It kind of became the, there was a name out there. And I remember people, there would be people that would, the church hopping people that would come mm -hmm. in and be like, Oh, we want to get involved and, and serve, serve, serve the moment they get there. And then it was, it was their way of trying to get your ear or whatever. And so, yeah, it was just, it's a really interesting seat. Just, and I don't think people, I don't know. I don't know if it was just my experience, but grasp the concept of what it would be like if you had 50 more people coming to your church a Sunday and not stop. It was just, I mean, and, and the things that we threw out there, I mean, the Sunday nights, you know, the Sunday night services and um, the balcony in that little barn. I mean, we just, we were just trying everything to keep the head above water. And so 
you you mentioned i've got a couple of questions on that before we move on actually so do you have kind of like a, a standout memory I mean, i'm sure you have a hundred but is there kind of one or two that really because i have one i want to share with you but do you have one or two that stand out to you about that you know 10 to 12 fifth the first 15 years or so yeah i think you mentioned it a moment ago that's why i smiled is i'll never forget the first easter you know we were four months old we were only four months old and i remember those guys radioing you know we were taking left off the gravel road is where that place was i mean we broke all the church church planter rules you know we were not in a we're a hard to find spot and they were radioing from back up at the main road saying hey you got to wait five more minutes there's still a line of cars there's still a line of cars I remember starting the service 10 minutes late because we just wanted as many people as could as could get in there to get in there. And the people that were coming in did not look like people. Their, their Easter Sunday best was quite a bit different than what we had seen in traditional church. And that moment of that radio and Hackney and I standing there talking about how long are we going to wait to begin mm. to let all these people come. That's a huge memory for me. And then that first baptism uh, kind of celebration we had around the pool at Lills, that's, that's the one I remember the most. And uh, some of the people that are still on our team, Tammy Harner, some of those folks like baptizing their kids that day and knowing Tammy and Jim's story that had been so hurt in their church experience and seeing them come to life and watching their kids come to Christ and kind of sell out for Jesus. That was, those were unbelievable to me. Oh, I, it's, you talk about the family thing. And I, I remember that it's crazy that in my mind, we were fully engaged into the Cross Timbers family at that first Easter. That's, that's the experience, the, mem the memory of the experience that I had. But truthfully, that was like you said, four months into the life of cross timbers. And so just to have this, like this skinny little punk kid and his, and his high school girlfriend and his, you know, crazy addict mom felt fully ingrained into the family of cross timbers within months, um, I think is kind of what cross timbers was all about essentially for me, um, from, the biggest, and this is, I'm going to get emotional. The biggest standout memory that I have was the first service in the, in the bubble, the first service in the sprung. Um, I don't know if we were just so tired. We were all so tired, but you couldn't tell. And nobody complained. We didn't, nobody ever complained. Um, but when we did that Saturday night service, when we had no carpet, it was the, you know, and then all the verses are written on the floor and I remember um, Betty McNeely. I don't remember what song she was singing, but her and Hackney were just singing it. And I, I just, it just felt like a chorus of God's people. And I felt like we were just so loud and worshiping God in that moment. And, and it, it stands out to Allison too. Um, but then there was a moment after that, that you and I were standing there flipping burgers in the stinking heat that Saturday night. And it just, just kind of the nods of looking at each other, uh, the staff kind of going, we're here. You know, we made it to this point because at that point it had been a four year, what would you call it? It's psychotic ride. Yeah. 
exactly. <laughs> but for me, um, that one, and then there's one that I've never really shared, but um, when my mom died and turning around in that funeral home in, in stupid Seymour, Texas, and seeing you and Danny, uh, that you guys made that drive up for me has stuck with me just of like, that's, that's what I, I, the reason it stuck with me. I'll tell you this, Toby, the reason it stuck with me is because I, I feel like one of the things that made cross timbers, what it was, was that you, you, you didn't forget as we grew that your flock was the staff. Yeah. And I, it's my family, man. What was that something that was conscious or? Yes, very much so because it grew so fast. I, it, I understood how limited my ability was going to be to pastor the church. And so I thought, you know what? The best way to pastor the church is to pastor our staff. And so, you know, Mike and I made a decision there. Y'all were going to be our family. This was going to be the family that we're going to pour our life into because if we poured our life into you, then you would be better positioned to pour your life into other people. And so, you know, from that day when we had however many we had on our team to, you know, the hardest thing about my transition has been just not having that day-to-day -day contact with who I consider my family. Mm. And uh, I could, I mean, there, there's, sweet little girl on our staff right now that is not much older than you were when you came and I walked by a couple of months ago and she was in tears and uh, I just stepped in the door and closed the door and just she was having a rough moment and you know in that moment I got to be her dad and tell her some things about who she was and how the mistake she had made was not who she was and this is how this family operates when people don't get it right. If we're honest about our mistakes and that was my heart. That gave me more joy. The stuff that nobody saw was the stuff that gave me more joy. Uh, I have the heart of a pastor, but how do you pastor, you know, thousands of people? You don't, you pick a smaller group. And for me, it was our team, even in the later days, it became our staff became so large that, it, it, you know, my heart always went, to the Cody Clacklers of this world, the young ones that, uh, you know, weren't having the parental influence at home. And I got one right now that, you know, he's like, he's the closest thing to a son I've ever had. He's going through an awful time with a sick newborn. And it took, it took everything I had on Sunday, not to, if I wasn't in the middle of nowhere. I'd have jumped on a plane and been there. Why? Because he's like my son, man, that's what family does. They show up for each other. And the joy of my life was not preaching to thousands. And I mean, the crazy stories that everybody likes to tell the joy of my life is showing up in Seymour, Texas. And you turn around and go, God, these guys really care about me. And, you know, getting to do those kind of things is what had kept me going in ministry for all those years. Well, and that's what my next question was. How did you and Micah survive? Well, as you said earlier, Mike is an extraordinary woman. And 
I think many of us forget as men that when God first calls us into ministry, it's not the call of our wife. And she's called to me. She's not called to ministry. And over the years, the prayer that God answered for us was that this would become her calling as well. And it was. And so we survived because we got in the foxhole together, you know. And when I first started having these panic attacks back, you know, 27 years ago, for the first time ever, Cody, I needed her more than she needed me. You know, I was the traditional, the man's the strong one, and I've got to be the support. And in that time, I had nothing to give. And something happened in our marriage in that season where the the level of connection, because I needed her more than she needed me, and that God gave her a strength, it did something. So in those days, you know, Brian Hackney prayed for us at one of the events at the end of our tenure and one of the things was he said, man, the fact that your marriage survived is, is a miracle of God. It, you know, uh, she just never was the last thing I turned to. She was 99.9% of the time, the first thing that I turned to. And we kind of had this thing of, hey, you run point on running this house and I'll be, I'll, I'll be a good dad, but you kind of run this part and I'll run you run this family and I'll run this other family and it worked for us worked, you know, to, we had some rough seasons, man, but we never got on different pages as far as the ministry side of what we were doing. Well, I mean, it is a miracle because there's a lot of marriages or even relationships with kids that don't survive 28 29 30 31 whatever years in in ministry um and it's weird the reason I, I kind of highlight that is because there's some nuanced things i was telling you maybe before we got on that like that allison and i do we don't know where we got these things from they've become a staple in our family and have helped us survive and i and it's it's just from watching you and from watching you and micah and from watching you be parents and watching you you know it's like you didn't really raise pastor kids, you know, Bailey and, and, and Ross, they're not, <laughs> and they weren't in high school and they weren't in middle school, I'm not saying they were perfect, but I mean, I was there. there, I was, I was, you know, I was shooting Ross with a, with a paintball gun as much as I could, you know, I mean, I, there, it was yeah. so, so, um, at, you know, at the Clack's house, uh, not my Clack, wow. but David and Janet Clack's house, yeah. you know? And so there's just a lot of things that I think we pick up on, that weren't talked about and i and i think that part, i guess that's part of that family thing when you're close you just pick up on the nuances and that's what you apply but you don't really think about it you don't realize what you're doing um and so um okay so you brought up the the mental health thing and mm -hmm. and, and then the panic disorders and that was something you've never shied away from as long as i've known you and that authenticity uh authenticity is I don't know. It's just something that it it's not glorified in a negative way, right? As like a, a glorified crutch, but it's also something that you don't shy away from talking about. And can you talk a little bit about the history of, you said that started having the panic, uh, the panic attacks and um, what was that? 98? No, that was earlier than that. Yeah. Don't ask me years. I, I always, it's, I'm coming up on 28 years from my very first 
like full on panic attack. Okay. Uh, I was two years into a ministry in South Lake and the church was exploding and my kids were little and awesome and compliant. And my <laughs> wife was, you know, as beautiful as ever. And one night, uh, this is, you gotta remember Cody, no counselors back then. There's no language around counseling. There's no language around mental illness. The only word I'd ever heard was the word, uh, they had, uh, they had a breakdown, you know, they had a, they, yeah. they, they had a burnout or a breakdown and I was lying in bed and I couldn't catch my breath. And it, and I started sweating and I got up and, you know, I was a guy, so I was going to walk it off. And I just started walking the hall of our little house. Michael was asleep and uh, the kids obviously were sleeping. And I walked that night for six hours, literally just walked all begging God to do something. Uh, laid back down right before Mike had got up uh, around 5.30, 6 o'clock, and uh, did it that again, did it for 10 days. Uh, would beg God, make deals with God, lay my head down and listen to Phillips, Craig, and Dean, and you know, recite Bible passages, and it wasn't going away. And I thought, oh, great, I've, I've just had a nervous breakdown. I'm going to be like my great uncle, you know, that I didn't know what to do. And I was not in an environment where I was going to tell anybody about it at that point. I wasn't even going to tell Micah because by the time your emotions get so worn down after a couple of weeks of that, I would drive to church uh, and I would pull over on the side of the road and throw up. And then I would, you know, wipe my face off and go to the building. And uh, finally I'm driving down I-35 there and driving toward Fort Worth and I had a meeting or something and I literally was like if I could run into this bridge at 98 miles an hour would anybody know I did it on purpose and I, I literally was like white knuckling the steering wheel because I had gotten so depleted to a place that I had convinced myself the world would be better without me and Micah would be better without me and this was never going to change. I know what it's like to get to that spot. And it scared me. Uh, grace of God, Micah to this day hates me telling that story. But I just think people wouldn't need to know that. I mean, that's how bad it got. And the only thing that kept me from doing it was a picture God gave me in that moment of Micah having to tell, you know, Bailey at five years old that daddy wasn't here anymore. And I said, I can't do that. But I went back and again, walked into Brian Hackney's office and handshake and said, Hey man, like I am jacked up. And instantly we grabbed a phone book. This is how old, <laughs> how long ago this was and started looking at Christian, you know, counseling services and went and told Micah, we made an appointment. Uh, and that started me on this journey of, you know, there's, it was there that I was diagnosed with it, acute anxiety and panic disorder. And I started this now 20, almost 28 years journey that I call, you know, understanding what freedom really is and how God works in the middle of it. I did not, nobody wants that to be their story. Nobody wants their life mm -hmm. verse to be, you know, second Corinthians. Hey, <clears throat> God gave me this thorn in the flesh and I prayed for it to go away. And he said, no, my grace is a fit. I mean, who wants that? Nobody yeah, gets that in no. a coffee cup, right? <laughs> it's I can do all things. And, and, uh, but 
on that journey, as we launched Cross Timbers, it's just crazy, man, how God works. A guy named James Robinson, who has a, at that time was a huge around the world television show called Life Today, asked Micah and I to come on for a week, which I didn't even know you did that. But he had a staff person that had been at Cross Timbers one Sunday when I was talking about my battle, and he wanted me to talk about it. And so I became known as the, you know, the anxiety guy, the mental health guy. And after a couple of years of kind of fighting that, I finally just decided, you know what, that's who God's made me to be. And this is my story. This is my song. And so I'm going to sing it. And Cross Timbers was born out of that kind of mess. And that's a lot of the people we're attracting had seen some of that either on his show or had heard about it in town. And the fact of the matter was that was, that was as big an issue then, I think, even as it is now at some level, but this was a place where people could have space to talk about it. And I discovered, you know, father wounds that I think everyone has, you know, at some level discovered, uh, you know, that how you, recognize those and recognize the lies you chose to believe and forgive because you understand your father didn't get it either. And I mean, I went through that whole process and through the process of pride of no medication to humbling myself to a season of taking medication. I mean, the whole journey of bottom line without, you know, running out of space here, discovering that freedom was not going to be me never having an anxiety, a panic attack or scenes of anxiety, but it was going to be finding God's power in the middle of it. And that freedom was really God's presence in life's most trying moments. And so I look back now, 28 years later and three days today removed, by the way, from one of the most uh, intense panic attacks I've had in years about mm. absolutely nothing. <laughs> Uh, just waking up with it, man, I can say God's grace is sufficient that, that I never, people who thought he's going to get prideful about pastoring a growing church. Hey man, I'm one step away from I-35, one bad decision away about being back in that car. God continually reminding me that it was his strength that it's his strength and not mine and made me, I think a lot more empathetic <laughs> than I would have naturally been just in tune with my own pain, which puts me in tune with other people's pain. So that was a huge, that, that was a huge part of my season. The chapter God allowed me to write across timbers uh, that the people that we drew and sometimes honestly, the people that got repelled after a season of time was, because central to our story is the story of recovery. It's healing. It's God working through the messes of our lives because that's the only story I got, you know? And I think that was part of the, the weirdness of cross timbers as I'll call mm -hmm. it weird was that you would have people that would come in and they would, they would be in those, the, that would be the season of life that were, they were in and they would come in and it was like, God called them here for that season. And I remember more times than I can count the conversation of, you know, well, it's just, it, it doesn't fit us anymore, or it's not deep enough, or it's not what we mm -hmm. want it to be. And I remember us going like, that's awesome. 
that means there's these, and we had a list of places that we thought were great other churches or bodies that people could go right. to. Right. And it was no, it was like, great. That's awesome. Like God's moved you past where, what he had for you here, you know? Um, but I think that's, I forget where I was going with that too. Um, well, we needed that seat for somebody else who was in touch with their brokenness to a level and needed that kind of help and that kind of message. And so praise God, you know, seriously, thank you, Lord, that, however that came out in their comments that, Hey man, I feel like I need to take the next step toward a different level or a different area of growth. I'm okay with that. I mean, was it hurtful? Of course it was hurtful to me personally. Right. Nobody wants to hear as a teaching lead pastor, you know, I need more, I need more depth. We need to talk about more subjects, even though Paul said I only have one message, you know, Christ crucified, but, uh, but it was okay. And it's still okay. And, you know, again, the last sermon I preached as the lead pastor at Cross Timbers was Paul Thorne in the flesh. I mean, if we're going to start there, I got it. I'm going to end there, you know, and who would have ever dreamed that a pandemic would accelerate and expose mental health issues, not in our country, not just our country, but around the world, like right. what we've seen happen and again people go wow you're really strategic yeah i'm strategic 27 years ago i decided to have panic attacks so that in this season <laughs> yeah 